chapter 3. This morning we will be reading uh, verses 20 and 21. As we continue in our series in the gospel-shaped life, today we are going to look at gospel-shaped families. Specifically, we're going to look at the relationships between parents and their children. Now, you have an idea of where we're going, so you may be about and maybe be tempted to think, why did I come to church this morning? Or is, is this a good time to take a nap? Because many of you, one, are not children anymore. Others of you no longer have children in your home. Some of you may not have children at all. You may be single. You may be married without children. Kids in the room, you may be looking at me and saying, you're old. What do you have to tell me about being a child? Some of you parents may be thinking, what in the world does a guy who's in, this, who's in the middle of parenting himself have to tell me about how to parent? And there are at least two of you sitting in this room who can say they literally parented me. It was just a small, my parents are sitting right there. And so all of these may seem like really excellent arguments to take the next few minutes to catch up on the sleep you missed last night. But I'm going to encourage all of you to listen to this sermon for two reasons this morning. First, and, and Nathan and I hope this every Sunday, we don't want to give you any of our own wisdom. If we ever give you our own wisdom, y'all can just head to lunch right now. No, we want to give you God's wisdom. And we want to give you what God's word says this morning about how Christian families are to be shaped by the gospel. The second reason I want you to listen to this sermon this morning. If you are tempted to not listen because this sermon will not apply to your current life situation. I want to I want to encourage you to listen with first some words from our church covenant and then a word from scripture. Our church, our church covenant says this. We engage, therefore, by the aid of the Holy Spirit to walk together in Christian love. In another part of our church covenant, it says we further engage to watch over one another in brotherly love. Now, again, our church covenant is neither inerrant nor perfect. But let me tell you something from God's word that is. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. The verses that we are about to read, Paul gave to the whole church. The letter of Colossians was to be read to the whole church. He didn't get to this point starting in verse 19 where he's talking about family relationships and say, all right, everybody who's not married and who doesn't have kids can go ahead and leave. I've just got some words for these people. No, it's to be told to the whole church and the whole church as God's word says. And then as we have put in our church covenant, we are to look out for one another. We are to walk together we are to encourage one another and spur one another on in love and good works. So I want to remind you, even if you don't have any blood relationships right now to which this sermon would be applicable, you do have a spiritual relationship with either this church body or another one. And you are called to walk together with that spiritual family. You're called to hold each other accountable 
and to pray and to teach and admonish and encourage one another. And, and can I tell you, as a, as a parent of young children myself, we need you to help us. We need help as we seek to raise up our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So this passage that we are going to read is short. It's only two verses. And because of that, I'm going to ask you to do what we don't normally do, and that is to stand if you are willing and able in honor of God's Word. Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank You for this church family. And I thank You that You have called us to love one another and to encourage one another and to spur one another on as we seek to live gospel-shaped lives in every relationship. Father, I pray this morning that You would be honored by your word. Father, please help us to hear from you. And may we be encouraged and may we be convicted and may we be made to be more like your son, Jesus, through your word this morning. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, our main point for this morning is this. The gospel-shaped family recognizes each member's need of a Savior and acknowledges Jesus as the family's supreme authority. I thought of an even better way to summarize this for you this morning. This passage is teaching us that the gospel-shaped family should be a gospel factory. The gospel-shaped family should be a gospel factory that is powered by the gospel and that seeks to produce the gospel in itself and in others. The two points that we're going to have are two points, one for each verse. Number one, gospel-shaped growing up from verse 20. And then in verse 21, gospel-shaped raising up. But first, let's look at gospel-shaped growing up. Verse 20, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. All right, now children in the room, you have probably heard the command to be obedient often. Yes? All right, some of you, there's at least one in here that I know I've told often to obey. We hear that often, but it's interesting. Paul doesn't stop when he says, children, obey your parents and everything. Some of us as parents may think that it stops there, but it doesn't. Paul goes on to say, for this pleases the Lord. Children, you, like each and every one of the human beings in this room right now, were built to know and love and honor God. We were built to please God and to be pleased by God. But there is a problem with this. That problem is that there are two types of children. Really, there are two types of people in this world. There are those who have responded in faith to the gospel message of Jesus Christ and those who have not responded in faith to the gospel message of Jesus Christ. 
So the problem when Paul tells children to obey your parents and everything for this pleases the Lord comes down to the fact that you and I, kids, adults, everyone, in our own strength, in our own obedience, we have no ability to please God. Hebrews 11.6 says very specifically that without faith, it is impossible to please God. So we're going to take a little side trip for a second because we need to figure out if Paul is commanding children to please God, yet they have no ability to do it in and of themselves. Well, how can children follow this command of Paul's? Well, I want us to turn, if you will, you can just listen along, but I'm going to go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Feel free to turn in your Bibles with me as I go there. Deuteronomy chapter 6, as you uh, look at that, if you're in your Bibles, most of the Bible that we have here in this room will, will have a heading there called the greatest commandment. And so the greatest commandment we see in verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. That sounds similar to you need to please the Lord. That's a similar goal that Moses is giving to all of the families of Israel, that they are all to love the Lord, their God. And so Moses, as he is giving this command, he goes on and he tells parents that what they are to do. And you see in verses five through nine that he describes a lifestyle where the word of God is completely penetrates every single bit of the lives of the families. And so they should be exposed to God's word often. And Moses predicts what ought to happen in the lives of children. And it should happen in the lives of all of us when we are surrounded by those who are following after God and loving him with all of our lives. Moses predicts in verse 20, that all of this exposure to God's word would result in questions. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? And so if you are in this room this morning, number one, you are in the right place. Regardless of whether you have responded to the gospel or not, you are in the right place. But if you have not responded to the gospel, kids and adults alike, I encourage you this. You need to ask good questions. Kids, you need to ask your parents or maybe somebody who's here around you that you've seen in the pews for week in and week out. If you have not responded to the gospel, you need to ask them, why do you read your Bible all the time? Why, if you're talking to your parents, why do we read the Bible in our homes? Why do we go to church every Sunday? Why do we pray? Kids, you guys like asking why anyways. This is a really good reason to ask why. Parents, I'm giving your children permission to annoy the mess out of you with these questions because they are eternally important. And parents... Here in Deuteronomy 6, Moses gives the parents a really good reason and a really good answer for their children. He describes the answer that they should give. And the answer that they should give is they follow all those things because they were slaves in Egypt. And God rescued them with a mighty 
mighty works. And so kids, adults, anyone in this room who has not responded in faith to the gospel message of Jesus Christ, I encourage you, ask us why we are the way we are. Ask us why we come here every Sunday. Ask us why we read the Bible. Ask us why do we pray. And we should give you an answer like this. First of all, there is really, really bad news. And we can find it right here in Colossians that we've been reading already. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 says, We were dead in our trespasses and in the uncircumcision of our flesh. Chapter 1, verse 21 says, We are alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. The Bible tells us that each and every one of us was created to know and love God, but each and every one of us is a sinner, and we are alienated and hostile in mind. We are enemies of God in our own state. The way we are born, we are born in enmity with God. That is the bad news, and the worst news is that we deserve the wrath of God for that. But there is good news. There is good news because even though we are enemies, Colossians 1.20 says that Jesus made peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus, the son of God, came, lived a perfect life that we could not live, died on the cross and paid the debt that we owe. Colossians, later in Colossians, it says, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us. How? He set it aside, nailing it to the cross. And he nailed it to his son, Jesus. That is the good news that that Jesus in his own body made peace between God and sinful man by shedding his blood. But even more than that, Jesus died, but he rose again and he defeated sin and he defeated death and he can guarantee peace because he is alive right now. And the good news also requires a response. It requires that we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Colossians also says that we are to continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Jesus Christ is our hope. For the children in this room, for the adults, for those who are much older, everyone, our only hope is in faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave his life for us. And so children, as you think about the command to obey your parents for this pleases the Lord, know that in order to please the Lord first, you must realize that you cannot do it on your own. You cannot obey your parents enough. You cannot do well enough in school. You cannot be here in church enough. No matter how many times your, your parents bring you Without responding in faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you cannot please God. But the good news is, is that when you respond to the gospel, you can. 
when you respond to the gospel. Colossians 3 tells us right at the beginning what Nathan read. If we have responded in faith that we have died, which sounds bad, but our life is hidden with Christ and God. Children, adults, everyone in the room, if we have put our faith in Jesus Christ, then God looks not at us and all of our sin, but He looks at Christ and in His shed blood on the cross and the payment that He made for us. And so we can have a relationship with the God who made us through faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And that was a really long side trip, but we had to take it. Now, children, if you want to know more about what it means to have that relationship with Jesus so that you can please Him, so that you can follow this command in verse 20, I encourage you, ask your parents again. And if you can't ask your parents, ask again. One of these people in this room, ask one of the elders here at the church. We would love to talk to you more about what it means to respond to the gospel. But the good news is, is that for those of you kids and adults in the room, but kids mostly we're talking to now, boys and girls, if you have responded to the gospel, you can please the Lord. You can please the Lord through your faith in Jesus. And while we may read lots of stories, maybe in, uh, in the news or in books about Christian heroes, or even in the Bible about people who have done great acts of faith, you may begin to think that you as a child, what in the world can I do to please God? Well, it is really, really simple. God makes it very, very simple to you in that you can please God maybe one day with these great acts of faith, maybe even right now with these great acts of faith that those who trusted in Jesus did, but you can do it right now simply by obeying your parents. Now, Kids, we do need to think about this as well, because none of you, whether you have responded to the gospel or not, are perfect at obeying your parents. Well, number one, we need to realize that if we are responding to the gospel in faith, then Jesus is the Lord of our life. And if he gives us a command, we ought to obey it. And so when Jesus tells us to obey, we should do it. In fact, if we disobey our parents, that is included in the list of things that in 3.5 says you need to put to death what is earthly in you. You need to put to death disobedience. In fact, Romans chapter 1 specifically lists disobedience to parents as not a sign of a Christian, but the sign of a non-Christian. And that's something that as believers, we need to put away. But here is another thing that we need to realize. Boys and girls, listen. When the Lord, the Holy Spirit, speaking through Paul, says, children, obey your parents in everything, he doesn't follow that with, because this pleases your parents. He doesn't follow that with, because everybody will look at you and say, man, what an obedient little boy. What an obedient little girl. He doesn't say that you are to obey your parents and everything just because you might get a better present for your birthday or for Christmas. No, he says that you are to obey your parents for this pleases the Lord. 
Boys and girls, if you are obeying your parents just because of the earthly things that you may get for it, well, remember what we preached about in Matthew chapter 6 a couple of months ago. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Boys and girls, you should obey your parents in order to please Jesus because at the end of your lives, you will stand before the Lord and it's Him that you want to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Boys and girls, if you are obedient just for what you can get here in this life, then you are only practicing your righteousness in front of others. And boys and girls, let me tell you that the other thing that is really, really important about making sure that you're practicing, that you're obeying in order to please Jesus is the fact that you cannot do it perfectly and if you're doing it just so other people can see how good you are, then when you do mess up, it is a whole lot harder for you to either accept correction and it is a whole lot harder for you to admit when you're wrong so that you can be helped in order to follow Jesus better. Boys and girls, please the Lord by obeying your parents. Please the Lord by obeying your parents. Do it all for Jesus. Well, parents, I have not forgotten about you. The second point, gospel-shaped raising up. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Now, I have another name for this point, and that is don't raise good children Raise children who love Jesus. Now you may be thinking, where in the world does it say that in fathers do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged? Well, first of all, we've already heard what the goal for children is. The goal for children is not just to be obedient robots, but their goal is to be children who love and want to please the Lord. And so we as parents, that should be our goal for our children as well, that we raise them up not to be those obedient robots, but to be children who love Jesus. Now, it's interesting, as Paul is saying this to fathers, most of your Bibles will translate this father specifically, and he does that because fathers in the Roman world had complete and total control over their children, both legally and socially. And so when Paul directs this to them, he's directing it to them because those fathers, if their children were disobedient, all of that fell on the fathers socially and publicly. Now, it's not to say mothers didn't have a say in it. Mothers did help with the raising, but legally and publicly, every single bit of the responsibility for those children and their behavior fell on the father. And so when Paul tells them not to provoke your children, what Paul is doing is he is seeing that the regular reaction of every parent when your child does something really, really disobedient in public is what? Anger, frustration. And often it's not anger and frustration 
because what the child has done is sinful, but often it's anger and frustration. Sometimes even maybe because it just it frustrates us and it inconveniences us, but also because maybe we're worried about what other people will think about our parenting. And so when Paul says, don't provoke your children, he's saying something very similar to what James 1.20 says. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Fathers, parents, our frustration at our children's bad behavior, while we do need to correct that bad behavior, if we react in anger and frustration, and we are provoking our children with our actions, it is never going to produce the righteousness of God. Parents, in any of our actions, if we are attempting to raise up good children by our efforts or your child's efforts or or both of them together, we will fail. And so what happens to children who have a bar set so high that they're told to jump and jump and jump and get to it, and they never will. They get discouraged. We cannot discourage our children by setting a bar that they were never able to reach in the first place. There's only one, one who fully lived out the righteousness of God, and that is Jesus Christ. And so we as parents, we as parents must must be very aware of the fact that our children are sinners. They are imperfect. And this, this gives us the ability not just to address their behavior, but to address the heart behind their behavior. It allows us to, when we see the disobedience of our children, it allows us to, when we see them doing something wrong, we can address not only the behavior as we should, but we also get to talk to them about the heart that it's coming from, a sinful heart that desperately needs not just a change in behavior, but it needs to be rescued and redeemed by the only one who can rescue and redeem your children. When we do not provoke our children by setting the bar of righteousness too high, we can help them to see that they will never be able to reach that bar We are not able to reach that bar, but we know the one who can. And we know the one who has already done it for us. And so gospel-shaped parenting should not be about raising good children. It should not be about raising up the next greatest athlete. It should not be about raising up maybe even the next president of the United States. But gospel-shaped parenting is parenting that seeks to raise children who know that they desperately need Jesus Christ. Gospel-shaped parenting is parenting that regularly puts our children and puts their behavior in light of all of Scripture, in light of their need of a Savior. And so parents, can I just give you a couple of very, very practical points Maybe practical helps in doing this. Number one, ask for forgiveness and be ready to forgive your children. Ask for forgiveness because you 
are not the perfect parent and you sin against your children, ask them for forgiveness when you do. And when your children ask you for forgiveness, you forgive them as your heavenly Father has forgiven you. Be patient with your children as God has been patient for you. And remember in Deuteronomy 6 how Moses commanded the people to consistently put God's word in front of their families. One of the things that has been not only helpful for my family, but actually very personally helpful for me in my walk with Christ is family worship. And so I encourage you, if you have kids in your home, or it doesn't even matter if you have kids in your home, God deserves to be worshiped in your home. And so regularly read God's word together as a family. Regularly pray together as a family. Our family tries, we don't do it perfectly every night, but we try every night before we go to bed to read God's word or a book that's teaching us about God's word. And we pray together. We sing as well. I would encourage you to do that, but I know that's not everybody's cup of tea. Read, pray, sing together. God deserves to be worshiped in your home. And what a better way to introduce your kids to the gospel than to continually bring God's word before them and the story of the gospel. Gospel-shaped families ought to be gospel factories. We ought to be families that are continually recognizing each other's need for a Savior, and we are continually bringing each other before the only one who can save us from our sins, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together.